This podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken your circumstances into account. It's important you consider your personal circumstances and speak to a financial advisor before deciding what's right for you. Any general tax information provided is provided as a guide only. Now, here's Diana. Hello and welcome to Simplifying Investing with Diana Messina, where this podcast looks at the hows and whys of economics to help you to improve your financial literacy and ultimately make you feel more confident about the economic environment and what that means for your own personal finances. Housing is a very topical issue at the moment. Part of the reason is because the Reserve Bank has lifted interest rates at its most aggressive pace since the late 1980s. We've seen a 4% lift in interest rates since their low in May last year. And of course, everyone has a vested interest in housing as well because we all need a roof over our heads. There are quite a lot of moving parts within the housing market. So I wanted to unpack that in today's podcast to help you make sense of what's actually going on across the different components. So firstly, let's talk about what's going on to home prices or the home purchasing market. National home prices, which include both houses, apartments, and other semi-detached type of dwellings, were falling from May last year when the RBA started lifting interest rates. Prices for homes continued to decline until January of this year, and the total decline in home prices reached 7.5%. Now that decline in prices is actually much lower than where many were expecting it to be, including ourselves. Despite the fact that the RBA lifted interest rates by 4% in a pretty quick time frame of about a year, which as I already mentioned was the fastest tightening cycle since the late 1980s, the decline in prices wasn't as high as where many commentators were expecting it to be. Most were looking for about a 15 to 20% fall in home prices from peak to trough. Since January of this year, the turnaround in home prices for both houses and units has also caught many by surprise. We've seen prices across the nation rise by 6.6% since their January low, and now prices for homes are only 1.3% below their all-time record high, and that was reached in April of last year. The pace of home price increases for homes has slowed since early this year, but nevertheless, monthly gains are still quite strong, running up by about 0.8% over the month in September, which is the latest data that we have from CoreLogic. Sydney home prices have had a very strong rebound and they're up by about 10.6% since their lows. They did also have one of the largest drops in prices across the country. Brisbane has also had a very strong turnaround and is up by 9.1% since their low. And Melbourne home prices have risen by 4.3% since their low. It looks like home price gains will see growth of about 8% year on year over the year to December of this year. And Sydney will be up by about 12%. So this should see national home prices reach a record level in 2023. Next year, we think that home price gains will be a bit softer, but still positive at around 5%. However, it is important to keep in mind that another leg down in home prices can't be ruled out because don't forget that interest rate hikes work with lags and those lags are still working to impact the economy. The economy is going to be under a lot of pressure in the next 12 months, growth is going to slow and the unemployment rate is going to rise. So there is still a risk that next year's gains in home prices might turn out to be a lot weaker than we're currently expecting them to be. So why has the housing market held up much better than expected despite the aggressive interest rate hikes from the RBA? Well, it comes down to three main reasons. First off, Australia has had a chronic level of housing undersupply in the past 10 to 15 years. We've had very high levels of demand because we've had high population growth and 
at the moment, we're actually seeing an extremely fast turnaround in immigration, which is driving the fastest level of population growth that Australia has had since the 1950s. At the same time, the supply of new dwellings at the moment has been very low. We've seen building approvals growth go backwards and housing construction has been pretty poor as well. And that's because the Reserve Bank has been lifting interest rates over the past year. This housing undersupply has accentuated an already very tight rental market, pushed rents higher and forced renters to consider whether they may want to buy earlier than they might have considered beforehand. Secondly, there appears to be quite a lot of FOMO or fear of missing out in the Australian housing market with talk of rising prices and not enough supply pushing buyers into the market because a lot of people have seen the experience of the housing market in Australia over the past few decades and typically prices have gone up in Australia for a number of issues that we'll probably leave for another podcast. And the third reason for why the housing market has held up much better than expected is because there have been a very low number of home listings in the market, and that's accentuating price increases for the dwellings that do go onto the market. Okay, so let's move on and look at the lending market. Well, despite the fact that home prices are moving higher, the new lending market has actually been much weaker. An average borrower's borrowing capacity has been significantly reduced because of higher interest rates. So if you were looking to buy right Right now, compared to April of last year when interest rates were a record low, your borrowing capacity has been cut by around 29%, just from the 4% lift to interest rates. If we break down lending across different groups, we can see that there's been a big fall in lending to owner-occupiers. They're currently down by about 12.5% year-on-year. Lending to first-home buyers is down by around 4.5% year-on-year. And investor lending is down by about 2.6%. I also want to touch on the issue of variable and fixed mortgage rates because this is quite an Australia-specific issue that does have important implications for how monetary policy is set and how it's translated into the economy. So in Australia, most households are on variable interest rates. That means that your mortgage rate can adjust every month if the Reserve Bank decides to change interest rates and your bank then passes on those changes to interest rates through mortgage rates. If you're on a fixed rate, most Australians fix for a short period of time, less than five years. So your mortgage rate cannot change over that time. But when your fixed rate expires, then you'll roll off onto a variable rate. So before the pandemic, about 85% of mortgages in Australia were on variable rates and the rest were on some sort of short-term fixed rate. In a lot of other countries like the US, 90 of homes are on very long-term fixed rates. So most households in the US can fix for 25 or 30 years and their interest rate will not adjust over that time. During the pandemic, we saw this dynamic change. Around 45% of loans that were written during the pandemic were fixed and the rest were variable. And obviously households were taking advantage of the ultra low fixed rates that were available. I was one of those households because you could get a three-year fixed rate for under two The issue though is in Australia, as I mentioned, we usually fix for a short period of time. Usually households fix for between one to three years. So now what we're seeing is that a lot of the households that fixed during the pandemic have been rolling off from those fixed rates onto variable interest rates. Now those variable interest rates may be three times higher than where those households fix them at because the Reserve Bank has lifted interest rates quite aggressively in the past year. This is the fixed rate cliff that many commentators talk about that when households shift from fixed to variable interest rates and they get that huge increase in mortgage repayments, there will be this cliff of lending 
that has big ramifications for consumer spending and therefore the rest of the economy. Now, on our calculations, we're currently about 40% of the way through the transition from the fixed to the variable rate roll off. So we do still have quite a lot more to go from here. And that does also mean that the housing market could get another leg down in terms of home prices if we do see more households having to, for example, sell their homes because they can't afford the mortgages that they received a few years ago. Okay, so we've spoken about the home purchasing market, the lending market. What about the rental market? About a third of households in Australia rent, about a third to 40% have a mortgage and the rest own their home outright. So it is quite an even split between the different household groups. In terms of the rental market, it remains extremely tight in Australia as there is not enough housing stock to keep up with demand for housing because Australia is running very high levels of immigration with the latest number showing that our net overseas migration numbers will be over 500,000 over the past year. That's a record high. The tightness in the rental market means that rental growth has been quite high. The latest monthly consumer price index figures show that annual rental growth is running at just under 8% year on year, which is very high and more increases are likely from here. The vacancy rate for rentals, which shows the percentage of all homes from the rental stock that are currently vacant, is extremely low around Australia. It's running at less than 2% in all the major capital cities. It has increased a little bit, which is good because we want to see more vacancies that should relieve some pressure from rents, but the vacancy rate is still extremely low relative to its historical averages. So the upwards pressure on rents is likely to remain over coming months. If we look at things like newly advertised rental growth, which is a good leading indicator for rents, we can see some softening in some of the advertised rents at the moment, but they're still running at quite high levels. So to see some relief in the rental market, we really need to see more supply of homes, but that's not happening at the moment because housing construction is going backwards and the demand for new housing is extremely high. AMP Bank did some recent research on Australian homeowners and I thought the findings were quite interesting. They showed that about 20% of homeowners who were surveyed didn't know what their current interest rate was. Around a quarter didn't know when their fixed rate would expire and about 21% of those surveyed didn't know what a redraw facility was. So this shows to me that there is a lack of understanding in terms of some of those housing market concepts. And this can make quite a big difference in terms of how much you're paying on your monthly mortgage. So I'd really encourage homeowners to go and talk to their bank about some of these issues and some of these concepts. But there are a few tips that I'd like to share with you about how to best structure your home loan and some takeaways. First off, you need to tailor your home loan to suit you. Think about how much you want to have in fixed or variable. Do the calculations on different amounts. Are you going to have a windfall coming through? Does that mean that you would need to put more money into a variable interest rate? These are important concepts to be aware of, and you can use different tools on bank websites to help you figure out how much you can afford to pay off every month. Second, you should create an offset account. An offset account operates like a transaction account, but it decreases the amount of interest that you pay as the interest is only charged on the mortgage balance, less the offset balance. Third, you should take advantage of a redraw facility. This allows you to request to access extra repayments that you might have made on top of your minimum repayments 
when you need it. So if you have unexpected expenses, for example, that you needed money for, you can potentially use the available funds on your home loan to redraw them. Or if you have any additional money that you'd like to put into your home loan, you can put it into your redraw facility and that will reduce the time or the life of your loan and reduce the interest that you're paying every month. Fourth, you should consolidate other debt into your home loan. Generally speaking, the interest rate on your home loan is lower than the interest on credit cards or personal loans. So if you have any debt besides your home loan, you could consolidate that into your overall home loan package. Five, you should increase your repayments so you can pay off your home sooner if you can. And this works by creating a budget and try and figure out how much you can actually pay on your home loan every month. Well, that's it for today's podcast. I really hope that you learned something new about the housing market. And until next time. To keep up to date with Yana's podcasts and reports, follow her on LinkedIn and your favorite streaming platform.